The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. Please stand for a reading from Luke chapter 18 verses 31 through 43. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what he said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Linda, for reading God's Word. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here, and if I haven't met you already, I sure hope to do so. Uh, just as I begin to preach, just ask for a point of personal uh, privilege to ask you to pray uh, for us as myself and Peter Lindquist and Keith Michaels leave this afternoon for Central Asia for 11 days. Probably by tomorrow night, we'll be uh, at the place where the Turkish earth, the earthquake in Turkey happened. Uh, seeing how the church is doing there, hearing of how funds that you gave for relief were used. And so we'll be going on your behalf to speak and greet the churches there that we've been partnered with now for 35, 40 years. And uh, so pray for us as we go. Pray that God will protect our going and our coming as we take about nine planes in 11 days to four countries. So pray for us. Uh, let me pray now for the preaching of God's word. <clears throat> Father, <clears throat> we want to see, we admit we're often blind, and we need you to take the scales off our eyes, but even more, soften our hearts. We need to see with our hearts. So help us now through your word to do so. In Christ's name, amen. In his last moments on the earth... Martin Luther, the great reformer, was asked by his friend, Justice Jonas, do you want to die standing firm on Christ and the doctrine you taught? And he answered emphatically, yes. 
And here were his last words. We are beggars. This is true. The last words of the great reformer, but I wonder this morning and ask us all, do we really believe that? Do we really see that? You know that's been the point of chapter 18 in Luke. The question has really been, who really sees? Who really is in God's kingdom? Who really embraces Jesus? Throughout Luke, more often than not, it's been the displaced and the destitute, not the religious insiders and rulers. The people near and close into religion often have missed it and been blind, but the people desperate have seen it. We'll see some of that over the next 11 days. A desperate church seems to see Jesus more clearly. And sometimes, as we said last week, we mask our need with all of our sufficiencies. And if we're honest, we really struggle to believe we are beggars. This is true. I want us to encounter this morning some who are close but blind and one who is blind but sees. First, the close disciples are blind to their need and to Jesus' mission. As you see in verse 31, in taking the 12, Jesus takes a small group, the intimate ones near him, the guys who have heard this stuff before, and many will tell you, and they're right, that this is known as the third passion prediction. That's true in all the Gospels, the way they arrange the accounts. But actually, in the Gospel of Luke, this is the seventh time now. The seventh time Jesus has spoken of his passion. He did it in chapter 5, chapter 9, he did it twice, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 17, and now here. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. We are going up to Jerusalem, meaning Everything I've been telling you about death, resurrection, suffering to glory, it's happening. We're almost there. And everything written of me will be fulfilled. Just think of this verse, these verses from Isaiah 50. In Isaiah 50, verse 5, it speaks of the suffering servant and says, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backwards, speaking of the submissiveness of the suffering servant to take up what the Lord calls him to. And in verse 6, it says, I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Later in chapter 52, it would say, Behold, my servant, speaking of the son of David, the great servant of the Lord, he shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. Why? So shall he sprinkle many nations. Jesus clearly speaks of the certain fulfillment of his purpose that there would be an awful intensity to his suffering. Yes, he's spoken of this seventh time. This is the seventh time but he's never been this explicit. He's never been this specific with them. 
saying, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. And then he just slows it down. He's told them he's going to die and rise again, but here he just slows it down. Speaking of Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52, he'll be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they'll kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise. Don't forget on the way to Jerusalem, as he speaks about what's going to happen in Jerusalem, it is full of both distress and deliverance. And even before we move to hear the disciples' reaction, I think when we hear the passion predicted, when we hear Jerusalem described, you and I, we need to reckon with Jerusalem and the passion often in order to actually see and not be blind. It's a great hymn, Lead Me to Calvary. Jenny Evelyn Hussey wrote, Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thy agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. We need to sit with the realities of these truths that Jesus speaks of if we are going to see our own condition and what it required from a merciful Savior. And yet, in verse 34, Luke says it in three kinds of ways that they're blind, but they understood none of those things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. Yes, it's hidden, but it's also something that they simply just did not want to believe. It was so totally outside of what they could have imagined following the son of David. Surely, this is some metaphor. Surely, this is some parable that we don't understand. But he could not possibly be speaking of going to Jerusalem and dying. That's not the way to set up the kingdom of God. And they're blind. And that's really where the text begins to show you. You can be close and near to Jesus and blind. You can be in the vicinity of His speaking and miss your need for Jesus and His mission. They are His small group. They have heard this before. And they are blind. Be careful. But then, Luke shows us a blind beggar who sees The closer blind, but the blind beggar sees. He clearly sees Jesus as the only one with the power to save. Look at him in verses 35 through 38. He knows his desperation, which guess what? Means he sees. Though he's blind, he actually sees very clearly because he knows his desperate condition. It says, as he drew near to Jericho, Jericho, 17 miles northeast of Jerusalem, six miles north of the Dead Sea, but 800 feet below sea level. And so wherever you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up to Jerusalem. Even though you're going south, you're going up to Jerusalem. And here they take that Jericho road just west of the Jordan River, and that road was a thoroughfare connecting to Jerusalem, and it was common, as you remember in the parable of the Good Samaritan, to see beggars spread out with cloak asking for coins, hoping someone could meet their desperation, and here the beggar sits. 
As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Luke does not tell us his name, which typically reveals a worthlessness, a namelessness. Although Mark does tell us his name and his name speaks of the same. His name's Bartimaeus, which means son of filth. This man in his very name and his very condition is full of desperation. Consider his life. Try to see this man. He's lived his whole life in darkness. Empty, alone, no education, no training, no employment record, no marketable skills. All his condition offers is a cry. That's it. A cry. That's how deep his desperation is. He can't dodge his desperation. He can't deny it. He can't deflect it. It is always with him. He is broken and blind, but yet he's not blind to his condition. And so hear him as you see him. Hear him now. Hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He hears the crowd he can't see, maybe heightened senses, you know, you, you really capture it as he's sitting on the Jericho Road. What's going on? What's all the noise? Who's coming down the road? Crowds often followed people of significance, and someone says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And hope swells in this desperate man's heart. Jesus? So his only offering of his condition is a cry that you then hear, In verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, mercy me. Mercy me. Who does he sound like in Luke 18? He sounds like the tax collector. Do you remember? who came in after the Pharisee prayed basically his spiritual resume before God. But the tax collector came in and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Do you see what's happening in Luke 18? Once again, you're being asked who really sees. And yes, you're here. Yes, you're in proximity to Jesus. Yes, you have a bit of religion here today because you're in church. But don't be confused that you can be close and you can still be blind to your need and to the need for Jesus' mission. But when you begin to see is when you become acquainted with your desperation. The beggar I hope for you this morning, even as hard as it may be to see, he's a mirror. All he's doing is showing you, you. Showing me, me. If you don't see yourself in this beggar, you're blind. We are this needy. We are this desperate. We are this broken In the Jesus storybook Bible, one of the stories speaks of a character and it says, all they needed was nothing and that was the one thing they didn't have. You see, seeing means you finally realize I have nothing to offer. 
I desperately need Jesus. So I would ask us this. This is, a, I think, an important question for all of us, for me. Is desperation more of a detour for you? Or is it your permanent address? Is neediness a detour? Or is it your permanent address? For this blind beggar is where he lived. It was no detour, and so he saw. You also see that he sees in verse 39 because he will let nothing stop his laying hold of Jesus. He is convinced, I need that man. I need that man. So in verse 39, those who were in front rebuked him. Does that sound familiar? It should. Luke 18 is totally connected. You remember the last time you heard somebody rebuking somebody? It was the disciples as the children were bringing, as people were bringing children to Jesus. They rebuked them. Again in Luke 18, the desperate, the needy, the overlooked seem to be people that you think they're not for the kingdom. No, that's who's in. And once again, the disciples who were likely in front of the travel crowd rebuked, telling this beggar to shut up, be silent. And yet what does he do? He cries out all the more. I don't know why they told him to be quiet. Maybe suffering embarrassed him. Maybe Jesus was teaching as he walked and they couldn't hear. Maybe they really, like the way they kept the children away, really thought this kingdom was not for those sorts of people. But he cries out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You can, do you hear it? Do you see him? Do you hear him? Getting louder and louder and louder, more persistent, like what? What would that remind you of in Luke 18? The beginning of the chapter, the persistent widow. Luke 18 is a fascinating chapter on how you understand kingdom life. Who really sees? Persistent widow in the beginning, the blind beggar at the end, howling louder and louder and louder, though people try to shut them up. And the question then becomes, you know when you really see? Will be when you press through every opposition to get to Jesus. That shows you see. When you're blind, you just give up at the first pushback. And sometimes the pushback comes from the world telling you, Jesus is not worth following. Jesus is not worth considering. But sometimes it comes from the church. Just get yourself together. Just try harder. Quit being needy. You see, those who see push through that opposition and keep crying. And keep howling, mercy, mercy, mercy. Because the blind think they're okay those who see know their desperate condition those who see will lay hold of jesus and let nothing get in between them and then in verse and then you see that the blind man sees because he knows his desperate condition because he's willing to press through any opposition and then you just see he knows who jesus is he sees clearly who jesus is and this is the only account in the gospel of someone addressing Jesus, son of David. Back a truck up, empty it. That's a theological load. 
This man may be physically blind, but he spiritually sees Jesus. Because the son of David and whatever he had been taught, whatever he had heard, whatever he had heard along the road, he believed that when the son of David came, that one who would reign on the throne forever and ever, he believed things like Psalm 72, 12, that this king would deliver the needy when they call and the poor and those who have no helper, that this king would be for the beggars. That Isaiah 11.4 is right. With righteousness, he, son of David, shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth. That Isaiah 35 was connected to the son of David, that then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This king is a king for the, for the mute and the deaf and the blind and the desperate. For the messes, not the made up. You always feel like you got to make yourself up. There's some blindness there. You've never met a king like this. You've never met anybody in power like this who moves towards, in Luke 18, time and again, the children, the desperate tax collector, the widow, now the beggar. But it's the religious Pharisee and the rich ruler of the synagogue and the disciples that don't get it. What you are meeting in Luke 18 is a blind man with 20-20 spiritual vision. He knows how desperate he is. He will and must get to Jesus because he knows who he is and what he's like. Is that your permanent address? I'm desperate. I got to get to Jesus because I know who he is and I know what he's like. Jesus responds in verse 40 and Jesus stopped I don't know, I always imagine just like the whole crowd stopping, people running into each other, you know. And commanded him to be brought to him, which I love that he uses his rebukers to be avenues for healing. And he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if you read the other accounts, Matthew and Mark, you'll realize that this scene is placed Right after the third passion prediction, when right after the third passion prediction, Luke omits it, because I think Luke is making a really stark point of blindness and who sees. But it's also very clear in the other passages, because right after that, Jesus asked the very same question to the disciples. What do you want me to do for you? You know what they asked for? Seats. We like to sit on the right and the left. Matter of fact, one of the disciples' mothers like, could my kids be in the best spot? And then in Matthew and Mark, he asked the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? The exact same question. And here is all he says. He says, Lord, let me see. Just mercy. And I love it. Jesus says to him, it's really one word. It's really just one word. See. You're saved. You're saved. 
your faith has saved you. You've placed your faith not in yourself, but in me. And not only are you healed, but you actually see now because you spiritually saw before. What do you want Jesus to do for you? It's a great question to ask to figure out whether you're blind or whether you see. Like ultimately, the answer to that question for those who see is have mercy on me, a sinner. That's how you answer the question when you see. Helen Keller, many of us familiar with her condition, she said this, it is better to be a blind person and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Are we seeing with our heart this morning? Desperation. Getting through any opposition to get to Jesus. Because we know who he is and what he's like. Who sees? May the Lord have mercy on us and give us eyes to see and make it our permanent address. Let's pray. Father, even as we come to the table, we're going to see truth. We're going to taste it. That we're so desperate it took your death, your giving of your very self, that we might be with you. Lord, again, as I prayed last week, I'm not real sure how you're going to answer the prayers of the last few weeks to make neediness and desperation our permanent address. But we're inviting you to do so for we know that will be kingdom richness. So would you? And would you now meet us and feed us at your table? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.